For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclewisville.org. So much praise for you, man. That was awesome music this morning. I'm just tell you, I tell you what, if you can't preach after music like that, then there's just something wrong with you. And I am, uh, I'm just uh, so excited to get to do worship with these folks every Sunday. And I just thank you so much for what you do. Uh, open your Bibles, if you will, if you've got them handy with you this morning, to the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians four. We're going to be taking a look at a couple of verses there as we continue to look at what it means to be the irresistible church, a church that uh, that, that is is a church that God cannot help but bless, a church that that people cannot help be drawn to because they're not drawn by us; they're drawn by the Holy Spirit. And and we're continuing our look at that this Sunday. Let's take a look before we dive into First Thessalonians, though. Let's take a look at what our core passage is and has been for this study and will continue to be, and that's James four eight. And then verse 10, because this is what we have to do. If we're going to be an irresistible church, we've got to do these things. Number one, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then verse 10 says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Are we a church that is desiring, working toward drawing near to God in our homes, in our businesses, when we finally get to gather here together as a, as a body of believers, are we, are we committed to, are we obsessed with drawing near to God? Because God tells us, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Humble yourselves before me and I will exalt you. That's what God tells us in his word. And that's what we're going to look at today. The Bible indicates that heaven holds sights and, and sounds uh, in store for us that will astound even our wildest imaginations. Heaven will keep us in awe for all eternity. There will never be a point where we, when we get to heaven, where we go, and you know, we're going to be there forever and ever. And I think it's a hard time for us, a hard thing for us to do to wrap our brains around what eternity means. But there will never be a time where we are not. There will never be a time where heaven is not. There'll never be a time where we look forward to something else. And, and there will never be a time where we're in heaven and we go, Already done that. Already done this. You know, can't be looking for something kind of exciting. Heaven will keep us wrapped, will keep our, our attention for all eternity. I mean, just think about for a moment talking to King David, talking to Moses, talking to Paul, or talking to Martin Luther in person. You know, getting to ask them what they meant by this or what they meant by that and having them explain these things to us. Or how about meeting the archangels? How about meeting Gabriel or Michael or seeing for ourselves how God created the heavens? Or a supernova? Or the northern lights? All the things that, that, that hold our attention, that make us wonder, that make us sit in awe of, of the God of creation... We'll be able to understand that. We'll be able to, to, to see and experience that. I imagine for the first million years or so, we'll be starstruck or we'll be, you know, suspended in amazement by all the things that, that take our breath away. We'll be captivated by the streets of gold, by the crystal sea, by the cherubim and the seraphim and all the saints we have only read about. And I'm sure we'll spend years catching up with loved ones that we haven't seen since they have passed. But, but what will make our hearts beat out of our chests 
will be when we experience what the Apostle Paul wrote about in this passage, in this passage that we're looking at today. And that's 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. I mean, just think about that for a minute. The clouds roll back. Trumpets split the heavens. Just imagine what that is going to look like. And the Lamb of God will receive the shouts and the cries of millions who have been redeemed. Just imagine what that picture looks like. The promised one will step through a stellar explosion that will cause even the angels to shield their eyes from the brilliance. Just imagine that picture. See if you can wrap your mind around the beauty and the majesty and the, the sheer power of what God will do when Jesus Christ comes again. We'll see so many breathtaking sights and magnificent scenes that will take us centuries to even get beyond the initial sensation of what, of what we're going to experience. But of all the trillions of surprises, there's one thing we will never see again for all of eternity. We will never see another non-Christian. We will never see another non-believer. Right now, in this life, we have the opportunity to usher people to the forgiver. Right now, we have an opportunity to share our testimony, to witness, to, to share the gospel, the good news of salvation to someone who hasn't heard it because there will come a point in time where we will no longer have that opportunity. Right now is what we've been given. None of us are promised tomorrow. Right now, and, and, and consequently, no other person who is searching, no other non-believer is guaranteed tomorrow either. Which makes what we do in sharing the gospel with people, in, 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 in sharing with them what Jesus has done for us, there's never any better time than right now because we may not have that opportunity again. This is the time we have. Our lifetime contains the only possibility that we have to play an active part in God's plan of salvation for others. We've been invited to partner with the Redeemer. Just think about that for a minute. God's plan of salvation that he has prepared, that he has ordained, that Jesus Christ has made possible, that we're able to be involved in through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has chosen to use us. Imperfect, broken, that we are. He has chosen to use us as his vessel to share the message of eternity with someone else. That's just... That just blows my mind. We've been invited to partner with him in a way to present the good news in creative ways to people who need him the most. That's where we are. That's what brings us to the eighth trait of an irresistible church, a church that God loves to bless, is that it connects everything it does to a soul. A church that is irresistible connects everything that it does to a soul. That means that every function of the church is connected in some way to the mission of somehow, somewhere, saving the lost and helping people grow in faith. 
You see, when we begin to think about what we do as a church as more than simply having a program or more than just uh, listening to the preaching or more than just sitting in Sunday school or more than just, uh, you know, more than just being a passive participant, when we begin to think about what church does as an act of bringing souls to the kingdom, we don't save them, God saves them. But God has chosen to partner with us through the power of the Holy Spirit in bringing people to the foot of the cross in showing them what life can be like in total and complete surrender to God and His plan and His will for us. God has, has enabled us to do that. That really puts what we do, I think, in a much better perspective, don't you think? We've been called to do this. And as the church, everything we do ought to be wrapped around the idea that the people that we touch... The people that we witness to, the people that we minister to, the people that we serve, the people that we sacrifice for are not just people, but every one of them is a soul. A soul who has an eternal destination. And when we have just spent a couple of minutes thinking about how completely incredible, how completely miraculous eternity is going to be, do we not want to fulfill the mission that God has given us except the calling that He has given us to bring as many people as we can to the foot of the cross so they will then experience that too? An irresistible church is a church that never forgets that what we do is because every person is a soul. Every person is a soul. A church is not only a subculture with its own music and fashion and diets and movies. We're asked to be a counterculture. We're asked to be salt. And we must be that. We can't settle for being a community of people who rally around a common cause. There's, there's earnestness and, and purposefulness to our work because of the eternal consequences that are involved in the work that God has given us to do. Do you believe with Paul, the words of Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you say that in your heart? Do you say that in your actions? Do you say that when you're given the opportunity to speak it? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who would believe. That's pretty inclusive. Everyone who would believe, and it's pretty exclusive, you have to believe. But if we're not ashamed of the gospel, then we'll make it our business to share it every opportunity we get. And God, listen, affords us opportunities. Everywhere we turn, God has given us an opportunity to do that. God desires, listen, God desires the salvation of all people. That is what he wants in his plan. God's people are to be reached through other people. Jesus, in fact, claimed that we are, uh, claimed us as his ambassadors when he prayed this in John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. We're the them. Jesus said, just as God his Father has sent him into the world, then Jesus has commissioned and sent every one of us into the world. Why? Because the work is to be done. The fields are white to harvest. We have got a mission. Church, we've got a mission. Christian, believer, we've got a mission. And that mission 
is to not stop sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ until we draw our last breath and then we are ushered into the eternity that we have spent our lifetime sharing with people. We must do that. God invites us to love and to serve and to reach in His name and to obey Him and to be part of the the incredible adventure of following Him. And that means that we get to have a hand in helping people find their way to the Lord. Y'all, listen, that would be the most important thing we do. Are we committed to the most important thing that God has given us to do? And that is to lead people to Him. That is to lead people to Him. We're commanded, just like Paul in Acts 26, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Are we winning souls to Christ? Is that what we're doing? Are we... Are we winning souls to Christ? Are we known or do we want our activities to make us known as a harvest church? One that sees people turn from despair and darkness to victory, strength, and confidence based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Is that the the church we want to be? Are we the Christians that we want to, to be known for this thing? Do we do that? Do we lead people to Christ? Of all the notable activities that this, that this church or any other church or the church universal, of all the activities we could be known for or involved in, we should, should not, we want to be known for one thing, and that is helping people find their way to the Savior. If somebody doesn't know a single thing about us, if somebody doesn't know a single thing about our church, would we want them to know that? That that's a group of people that are committed, that are absolutely committed to helping people find their way to Jesus. Can you tell me something more important than that? Is there anything we could do? Is there any program we could have that is more important than that? Than to be known as a church that leads people to Jesus. If that's the way we want to be known here on earth as well as in heaven, we have to deliberately create a culture that helps people connect everything to a soul without apology. We need to be asking ourselves, when we look at a program or when we think about starting something or we think about ending something, when we are taking a look as a church family about the direction and the vision that God would have for the church, I think probably the most important question we ought to ask is, how does this Help us accomplish our mission of leading a soul to the cross. How does that fit in to our mission of every person a soul? How does what we do help people get to know Jesus? How does what we do help people through the, the discipleship process, to, to, to get to know Jesus, to learn more about Him, so that we can live like Him. So that we can be like Him. Because that's the process we have to go through to experience the eternity we talked about at the beginning of this.
We have to get to know who Jesus is. We have to be committed as a people and as a church to being like Jesus. And those two things enable us to live for him. And if we are a church and a people that are committed to living for him, then the most important thing we have to do is to bring people to the cross so that they can be saved. That's what we have to do. That's what we should be known for. Let me tell you something. I have the greatest job in the world. The greatest job in the world. I've got it. I, you know, I get to visit with, I get to minister, I get to witness and pray with people who have come to the cross to give their lives to Christ forever. I mean, I can't think of a more exciting a more wonderful thing. I, I, I get up every morning and I thank God that he blessed me by giving me the ability to do that. But really, I'm going to tell you something. My part in the process only comes at the end of a process that you start. Everyone I've got a chance to visit, very well, I'm, maybe not everyone, but 98% of the people that I have visited with have visited with me because somebody has shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they come to my office or they call me and I go to their house. And, and, and they're, they're already trying to understand. Someone's already explained to them what Jesus can do for them. And, and they, they feel like they're ready to make that decision. And so they contact me and I get to go share the gospel with them again. Very few times have I ever shared the gospel with somebody when I wasn't witnessing personally with someone that I had never met or I, I was out doing some type of, of ministry like that. But when people call me and I go visit with them like I do in, in, my, in the church setting, very few people have said... Boy, I just don't understand that. Or I've never heard that before. Boy, thank you for talking to me about that. Somebody has shared the gospel with them. Someone has piqued their interest. Someone has gotten Jesus in front of them. And the Holy Spirit has begun the ministry of, of, of breaking down the barriers that they would have to accepting Jesus as their Savior. Understanding that the God who created them has something wonderful and powerful in store for them. Something great in store for them. That's the process that you have started. You, in obedience to the Holy Spirit and in concert with His ministry in the lives of our children, God's children, are the catalyst for transformation of an eternal significance. Y'all get it started. Regardless of what you do, we do it together. Are you greeting people? Are you teaching? Are you visiting? When we get back together and we have a nursery, are you changing a dirty diaper? You are inextricably linked to bringing people to Jesus and changing their lives. You're linked to that process. What you do matters because what we do together is all about a soul. There is no insignificant role to play in bringing people to Jesus. What you do matters. Because what the church is about is bringing a soul to Jesus Christ. It's all related. 
No one person leads another to Christ. It may be that one person eventually prays with another or directly shares the gospel message with another or gives a salvation message where a person responds in faith. But let me tell you something, it's all part of the same process. We all have a part to play in the process. But we often don't see the long line of Christians with whom a non-Christian has had contact before that decision is eventually reached, right? We don't know the mother that's prayed for their children or grandchildren and continued by showing their lives to be people uh, of faith and, and giving them a, a, a way that they can see something different in their lives. No, no, one, no one really knows all that. No one knows uh, the kindness that has been shown by a Christian brother or sister to someone that makes them wonder how they can be that kind even when things are going bad in their life. We don't know the number of people that the Holy Spirit has just placed the right person at the right time with the right words to lift somebody up and to give them a, a message that leads them to another person, that leads them to a prayer of salvation. No one really knows all that. We know that we're all involved in it together. All the steps along the way are important. The Great Commission, found in Matthew 28, 18, and 20, is a corporate calling as much as it is an individual one. We are called to go, therefore, to baptize, to make disciples, to teach. We're called to do that, but we as the church, we as the body of Christ are also called to do that as well. We must never miss our true purpose as Christians. Author and pastor Wayne Cordero writes this, We must never function as if our role is to convince the already convinced over and over again. It's called preaching to the choir, right? Our mission, our goal, is to constantly be reaching into a lost world and bringing people to Christ. When we just sit in a, in a holy huddle and keep each other, you know, prepped up and ready to go, but we don't ever leave here and do something with it, then we're not taking care of the mission God has given us. Our, our goal is not to convince the already convinced over and over again. Our goal is to, to be transparent, to be honest and truthful, to love people with the love of Christ, to correct people uh, and disagree with the love of Christ, to, be, to represent something different in our world, to share the gospel when God gives us the opportunity and the, the open door to do that. That's our mission. Why? Because every person that we meet is an eternal soul. Every person we witness to is an eternal soul. Every person that makes a decision to accept Jesus as their Savior or to not and to live their life separated from Jesus Christ is a soul. Y'all, we've got to understand that that is our function. To reach people. To reach the soul. I think when the day comes for me to stand before God's throne in heaven. That he will probably ask me at least one specific question. And he'll not ask me how big our choir was. He won't ask how popular our potlucks were. Nor will he ask the size of our budget. Or our facilities. Or our programs. 
I believe he will ask one important question. How many of my children did you bring home with you? How many of my children did you bring home with you? Did you share the message I gave you to share? Now is our time. We won't have another chance in this life again. This is our run. The irresistible church never forgets her assignment. Our energies, our planning, and our actions must somehow, someway, always be connected to a soul. An Episcopal priest named Dr. Theodore Vadel penned a short little parable back in 1953 that, that the Lord has, has used mightily, I believe, over the years to help people see the true function of the church. It speaks of an incredible truth, and I think it speaks of one truth that we don't need to forget. And if, you, if you'll permit me, I'd like to share it with you. He says, on a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But a few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for their own comfort, went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with that station. They gave their time and their money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew as a result. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. And so they replaced the emergency cots with beds. They put better furniture in an enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a popular place for its members. And they decorated it beautifully because they had used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired a lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club's initiations were held. And about this time, a large ship wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty, and they were sick. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split among the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities for being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose, and they pointed out that, that they were still called to a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told if they, wanted to have, if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station. So they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes as has occurred in the old station. It, involved, it evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. And history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. My encouragement to us all 
is to throw open the doors of our life-saving station. Throw open the doors. Let's keep a constant watch over the sea and head out day and night into the open ocean tirelessly searching for the lost. Tirelessly searching for people who are shipwrecked in their lives and who need the safety, who need the comfort, who need the rescue and the healing of Jesus Christ. Bring them there. The church is a place to welcome those who need Christ the most. The moment that the church begins to look at a program because they are embarrassed of the people that are going to respond to that program is the very moment that a church ought to reevaluate its purpose. We have to keep first things first. You can call it anything you want to call it, keeping first things first or majoring on the majors or, or keeping our eye on the prize. Whatever it is uh, that, that you want to call it, it's the same thing. And that is, that is understanding and remembering and living like our activities as believers are about bringing souls to Christ. They're about bringing people to the cross so that they can fall on their face before their creator, so that they can ask for forgiveness, so they can confess their sins and receive the blessing of forgiveness and eternal life. It's all about a soul, guys. It's all about a soul, ladies. It's all about a soul, young people. Is there a soul in your life? That doesn't know Jesus? Let's always connect everything to his soul. Let's help people find their way to Christ. Let's not be one of those life-saving stations that become a club. We're a life-saving station here. People that come to us, come to us because they're shipwrecked. I was shipwrecked in a, soul, in a, in a lifetime of sin. Every person that has come to Jesus Christ has been wrecked in a life of sin. And every person that has believed and confessed has been saved from that wreck of a life. They've been cleaned up. They've been put on the right path. And the Holy Spirit has led them and led us in a new way, in a new path. Isn't that something that we want to make sure that we don't miss the opportunity to bring people to? Is everything we do about a soul? Is everything we do about a soul? Let me ask you something. Let me, let me just say this before I ask this. There may be somebody who is listening today who is not a believer. There may be someone who has tuned in today because they've just heard people talk about it or someone has dared them to join it, to come online and listen. Or somebody has, uh, has brought and invited them to their house and, and, and this is what's on. Somebody may be driving down the road and, and, and tuned into the radio, just kind of flipping the channels and heard this and something kind of captivated you and you stopped and listened. But this is not real to you. This idea of a group of people being more concerned about somebody else's soul, maybe your soul, than you are right now is strange. 
I want to welcome you to the life of the believer. Because if you are struggling with this decision, then your soul is important to me. And your soul is important to every believer that you come in contact with. Every person who prays for you, every person who prays for the lost, not knowing your name, the searching, the seeking, not knowing your name, who you are and where you're going to spend eternity is important to me. And it's important to them. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ loves you. That Jesus Christ was born a man and lived on this earth a life without sin so that one day he would go to the cross and he would take my sin and your sin and the sin of everyone who would believe throughout history until his coming again. He took their sin on him. He took my sin on him and yours too. And it was never the design of God for you to live in this world alone. For you to fight against the sin of this world alone. For you to, to fight against your sin alone. Are you living a life that, that it says to itself, there's got to be something better than this. There has got to be something better than this. Well, I'm here to tell you, there is. And that something is someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants to save you. The God who created us, it's not his desire that anybody should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. I, I just love that, that passage out of 1 Peter. He wants you to have that experience too. If you're ready to make a decision for Jesus Christ, if you're ready to, to confess your sin to him and to ask him to forgive you, to ask him to come into your life and make you a different person and to give you the strength that you need to fight the world's battles in his strength, not yours. We at this church want to celebrate that with you. Call us. Call us. Get online and look at us at fbclewisville.org. You can leave us a note to tell us, hey, I want you to know that I have made a decision to ask Jesus Christ to live in my heart and to be my Savior. And I'm ready to, to find out what it means to begin that walk that Christians always talk about. Put something on our Facebook page. Let us know. We want to get in touch with you. We want to pray with you. We want to celebrate with you. If you're not living in this community, we want to put you in touch with a church in your community that can help you along that path. We want to be there for you just like somebody was there for us when we made the decision to accept Jesus as our Savior. Because I'm going to tell you something. You know, we make the decision alone. It's our decision to make. But God provides a body of believers to come along beside you and to love you and to pray for you and to help point it out when you, when you stray. To help keep us all together. God provides that. And he calls it the church. We want so badly for you to know that there is a God who loves you. And that he has made a way, regardless of what you've done in your life, Regardless of the sin in your life, there is never a point in time where God will say, that person's sin is too great. One of my favorites is Romans 
For God shows his love to us in this way, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you in a wreck? Come to the Savior. Come to the one who will rescue you, who will give you clothing and warmth, who will give you food, and will help you get your life on track. Because that's why we're here. Everything we do, everything we say, is about a soul. Yours. Ours. And we want so badly for you to know that. We want to be there for you as we are there for each other. Father, I just... I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for your healing. I thank you so much for letting us play a role in the, the, the process of, of bringing people to you. God, I thank you that somebody shared the gospel with me. I thank you that I, that I had teachers and I had family members and I had pastors who poured into me, who let me understand by looking at their lives and teaching me about how my life can be different, about what you can do. What you're, what you're willing to do. God, I thank you for, for letting me be a part of your ministry of, of bringing people to the cross. I thank you for putting people in my life who have, who have loved me, who have shared with me, who have corrected me when I was wrong. God, who, who knew and who understood that their mission and the mission of the, of the church, your children, is to be about a soul. I thank you, God, that somebody made my soul the priority. And Lord, I just pray that we can do that for everyone else, that we can... Never forget the priority of the souls we come in contact with. This is not just about people. We're not about just feeding hungry people, although we do that. We're not about just, uh, not just, about just, just preaching at people because we, we do teach and we do preach. But God, we are about ministering to folks so that they will understand that they are a soul. That they have been created by you as people of worth and value. And God, you have a plan for them. I just thank you for letting us do that. And Lord, I just pray that if there is someone who is listening today who is struggling with this that they will find a home in your family. That they will accept your adoption of them as, their, as, as your son and daughter. Lord, I thank you for the plan you have for us for that. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.